Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Shalom. This is Rabbi Joshua Heller, Senior Rabbi of Congregation B'nai Torah in Sandy Springs, Georgia. And welcome to Daily Daf Differently. Today we're studying Chagiga Daf Tetzain, 16. If you heeded my warning a few days back about not entering the dangerous realms of forbidden knowledge, well, welcome back. Our Daf wraps up that theme with a final discussion of those ideas, then moves on to look at some questions about the sacrificial order. As we leave the mystical realm, the Gemara relates some useful information about, with apologies to Dan Brown, angels and demons, and suggests that there is a ladder of similarities, a continuum of overlapping traits on a ladder of existence, from angels to demons to humans to animals. The Talmud has extensive sections elsewhere on demonology and angelology, but we'll look at one concept here. Demons are compared to angels in that they have wings and may travel the world and have supernatural knowledge, but they are not entirely supernatural. They are unlike angels and like humans in that they may eat and drink, procreate, and die. Human beings, by the way, also share certain traits with the angels in that we have understanding, walk erect, and speak. But we are unlike angels and we're like animals and that we eat and drink, procreate, and excrete waste. Now you could go to, into extraordinary depth trying to understand why these are the characteristics that are chosen. In particular, two of the traits that demons share with humans are shared with animals as well, and why not mention that we, like animals, die? Perhaps the answer is that we are invited to the afterlife. In reading this text, perhaps we can understand that we occupy a precarious place in the universe incorporating both a spark of divine perfection and the limitations of flesh and blood. Now, not that I haven't enjoyed studying mysticism with you, but I'd be glad to be getting back to more legal material. You know, there's a story told in Masachet Sukkah uh, 28a of Rabbi Yonatan ben Uziel, who's so intense in his concentration in prayer that the birds flying overhead would burst into flames. Some rabbis read that story with fervor, and aspire to the same level of concentration. Some rabbis read that story with compassion and are concerned for the poor birds. And then there are those who wonder, if that bird that burst into flame lands in a field and sets it on fire, who's liable for the damages? And I'm kind of that guy. So anyway, back to Jewish law. The new Mishnah describes what is presented as the most ancient disagreement in rabbinic literature. Now, since rabbis are known for disagreeing, this is quite something. One could argue that the realm of rabbinic Judaism, with a network of teachers and disciples offering varying views on any number of topics, really began with Hillel and Shammai, because almost all of the disputes or differences of opinion found in the Mishnah and other rabbinic texts are attributed to them or to later sources, the schools that bear their name or the sages that followed, who are referred to as the Tanaim. However, the Tanaitic period begins right at the turn of the Common Era, 
And before this period, there were apparently five pairs of sages called the Zugot. Helel and Shammai were the last of those pairs. And these sages really predate a lot of what we know today about rabbinic Judaism. So, for example, they predate the title rabbi. We know very little about them, and most of that is filtered through later heavily edited transmission. And we certainly know practically nothing about any sages who might have been their contemporaries. <coughs> so, was this really the first dispute in Jewish law? Did Jews not argue before this? I find that hard to believe. But of course, there is some disagreement about this disagreement. A more fundamentalist view would be that until this point in history, there was almost complete unity in understanding of Jewish law and theology. And this was the first crack in an oral Torah that was transmitted flawlessly from Mount Sinai to Hillel the Sage. Contemporary scholars would argue that, in fact, rabbinic Judaism and even the Pharisaic movement that birthed it really began with these zugot and a very small group of disciples that surrounded them. There was really no one to disagree with until the Pharisaic movement began to blossom in the turmoil, in the ferment of the first century CE. Now, what is the actual question up for debate? The question is whether one could lean on a sacrifice, lay hands on a sacrificial animal on Yom Tov. So laying on of hands is a way of declaring connection and of passing on some attribute, whether transgression or leadership or something else. Now, the problem is that leaning on an animal could be considered work, which is forbidden on the festival. So should it be done or not on the Chagiga offering? Now, the Hebrew term for this practice, smicha, means laying on of hands and is the same term used to describe ordaining a rabbi. A number of pundits have suggested that it is not accidental that the same term is used to describe the act of sending a rabbi out into the world and the act of sending an innocent animal to be slaughtered in the temple. One final comment that I find interesting on this daf. One of the biblical sources for smicha is addressed to Bnei Yisrael, the sons of Israel, being read to imply that women are not required to perform this ritual. However, the analysis in our Gemara here relays that sacrificial animals were in fact brought to the women's court so that women could perform smicha on them. That even though it was not a required practice, they were permitted to do so to provide nachat ruach, to provide comfort, to provide satisfaction to women who wanted the opportunity to perform this mitzvah. And this ruling is a very important early positive precedent for the ongoing expansion of women's roles in Judaism as over the generations they have continued to embrace roles and practices that at one time might have been considered exclusively male. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.